0: This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell.
1: And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts, and we have another Christmas cracker for you this week. We are going to be looking at the new Netflix release, A Castle for Christmas.
0: This week's Christmas movie is the freshly minted 2021 release, A Castle for Christmas, which is now gracing Netflix, for all of you that have the subscription to that. Now, with it being a new movie, I don't think Nick Reganus has got round to doing a synopsis yet, but I'm sure there's one floating around out there.
1: I'd rather spare Nick Reganus to have to watch this movie, to be honest. Now, I said Christmas Cracker at the beginning, but I feel this is a real Christmas turkey. So let's get into it the story follows a famed american author sophie who travels to scotland and finds herself wanting to buy a castle but the prickly owner a scottish duke named miles is reluctant to sell to a foreigner working to find a compromise the pair constantly butt heads but along the way they may find more than they bargained for
0: well it's classic kind of hallmark-esque territory here and i don't think there's a huge amount in this movie that will surprise anybody Let alone anybody who's seen this sort of thing before. I don't think it throws in any twists that you're not going to see coming. Off the bat, going to have to fess up. I do fancy Brooke Shields. If I look as good as Brooke Shields does at 56, then I shall be a very happy man, indeed. Brooke Shields looks amazing in this movie. And I think it took the edge off all the ridiculousness because every time Brooke was on screen... I was uh, making sad puppy eyes at the screen, which I'm sure Alison was totally on board with because she watched the movie with me at the same time. I think she did agree that Brook Shields looked great, but then there was that kind of thing where I thought at some point she's going to hit me over the head with something art. Yeah,
1: so nothing against Brook Shields at all. She does look great in this movie, I agree with you, and um, she does her best with uh, the material given. So she plays an author named Sophie Brown. She's been writing books for 20 years and she's released 12 novels and it's all surrounding a character called Emma Gale. So it's all these like romance novels. And basically she kind of has a bit of a misery plot twist where she decides to kill off a guy called Winston who is like this major love interest and therefore dividing the fans and basically has a bit of a scandal following her around. And the movie starts off quite meta because she does appear on the Drew Barrymore show and it's always great to see Drew Barrymore, so that was one point for the movie. But then to get away for a bit and rewrite the book because she's going to basically bring Winston back in a very contrived way just to appease the fans, she decides to go to Scotland and that is also because her father, who had passed away off screen, used to um, live or work in this castle. So she gets there she meets a slew of quirky characters that add nothing to the plot (laughs) and then of course the um love interest for this movie the prickly duke who doesn't really want her there and they butt heads and then eventually they fall into a passionate clinch and this movie is particularly dull I just did not enjoy I did not have a good time so Five minutes into the movie, my daughter cried, so I think that kind of says it all. (laughs) (laughs) I think the problem with it is, is, as we've just said, that it is a classic Hallmark-esque plot. There's no surprises in it. It is really toe-curlingly cheesy. It's eye-rollingly bad. The characters are so one-dimensional, you just don't really give a shit. And there's nothing much at stake in the movie either. It's just... The plot is just rolled out and they, you know, try to add a little bit of conflict here and there, but there's there's just nothing really going for it. And (laughs) the characters are just really, really odd. Like, they basically fawn over Brooke Shields' character because she's this famous author and they all love her. And they're just, like, so enamoured with the fact she's staying in in their little village um, in Dunbar, Scotland. Yeah. I will say the movie, another point for the movie, it does have some beautiful scenery. I've never been to Scotland. It's on my bucket list. I'd love to visit. And it does make Scotland look beautiful. So I will give it that. But um, I'd rather sort of just look at scenery of Scotland, like a whole movie just of that, than have to encounter these dreadful characters. So, yeah, I didn't have a good time with this. How about you, Darren?
0: I probably had a better time with it mostly because i spent the whole movie taking the piss out of it and or fawning over brook shields like the rest of the village did scotland does look beautiful i have been to scotland and i can confirm it is as beautiful as it looks on screen i have been to a place called dunbar it doesn't look anything like that it's a nice place dunbar i think they've gone for this kind of picture postcard quaint idyllic village now dunbar it caused a bit of a problem in terms of the naming conventions because the castle is called Dun Dun Bar. And you get these people saying Dun Dun Bar over and over again during the movie. And like, Dun Dun Bar, it's like, have you got a stammer, Dun Dun Bar? And by the end of it, I thought, is it some kind of superhero announcement movie like Dun Dun Bar? That sort of thing. The characters are absolutely ludicrous. There's a knitting circle in it which, you know, you've got to have some kind of crafting going on. In Christmasland, we had the kidnapped kids making baubles and shit like that. Here, you've got a knitting circle full of very unconvincing characters, most of whom are not actually Scottish and are trying to do Scottish accents. I think that if you're Scottish and you watch this, you're going to be grinding your teeth at some of the attempts to do a Scottish accent. Having said that, the Knitting Circle have got their own problems in the fact that they're all nutcases. Specifically, a guy called Angus, who is this giant of a man who has lost his husband at the start of the movie. And he's obviously grieving for the loss of his partner. And you think, you know, same-sex couple, progressive, that's cool. More of that, please. But Angus is given nothing to do. He's mute for the most of the movie. In fact, for the first half of the movie, I thought, is that Angus's character? Is he mute? And maybe at some point, something is going to happen that's going to make him speak. That old cliche. But he isn't. He just chooses not to speak. And he sh- just shrugs and makes gestures and signs and things. It's, it's just so weird. You know, you get this kind of feeling where there's, there's like this hulking giant going around the village. You think, at some point, is he going to snap and go on a murder spree? Because he's kind of got that Michael Myers-esque build to him. He doesn't. Spoiler alert. There is no murder in this movie I mean you might want to murder quite a lot of the people in it by the end of it but there is no killing it's all very gentle but the characters make weird decisions I mean there's a point at which Sophie and Miles are getting on really well about 35-40 minutes in and then for almost no reason Miles suddenly falls out with her and you think well the relationship can't come back from that and then about an hour and five an hour and ten in He suddenly decides that he's not falling out with her and he really loves her. It's like, you know, you've just kind of jumped from one extreme to the other. And the change in character doesn't convince at all. It's just there so that they can add a bit of jeopardy into the movie so that they're not thrown together after three quarters of an hour. So you get them together and it's obviously that they, they have feelings for each other, but, you know, it's only 45 minutes into the movie, so can't have that. Let's throw something in there. Now, they could have thrown something else in there, which gave it some real jeopardy that one of them found out something about the other. But it's so inconsequential that you think, why have these people fallen out? Specifically, why has Miles fallen out with Sophie? Because he's just been a pain in the arse, basically. I mean, as, as I was saying to somebody else on, on Twitter today, if I'd have been in the same role as Miles, with casting aside because of the thought, you know, that guy and Brooke Shields don't go together. But 45 minutes in, I'd have been, yeah, flog the castle to your brook, let's run off. You're like an amazing woman, talented, gorgeous, funny. Yeah, that's it. 45 minutes, the movie's over, which I think a lot of people watching this would have been thankful that the movie would have been over after 45 minutes. But it's an American's version of what they think Scotland is like. And I think it's quite insulting in places because it gives you that sort of, rural idyll it's like when americans try to do ireland as well if you've seen the movie leap year that's astonishingly insulting to irish people leap year but they can kind of say oh look how quaint it is look how quirky it is it's like no it's not this is your view of what a country is probably written by people who've never set foot in the place what one thing i do want to point out is she lands at edinburgh airport she gets a taxi to aberdeenshire that is a fucking long way if you've been up to Aberdeenshire. I've no idea what that taxi cost. And this taxi driver is posited as one of the locals. This is this guy called Eamon and he drives around. So is that his route? Does he go from Aberdeenshire to the airport all the time? I mean, that's going to take you, what, three hours or something like that? It's not a taxi route. And, yeah, you know, I mean, at least it does seem that they've shot it in Edinburgh Airport. And it does seem that they've shot it out in the wilds of Scotland. But it's just details like this. I mean, I guess... If you're in the middle of America and you've never been to Scotland, these details won't bother you because you won't know the geography and you won't know the time it takes to get from place to place. But if you've been there, that was the first thing I thought of. It was like, when she got in the taxi, it was like, where's she going? Where's she going? She's in Edinburgh, but now she's in the Wales. It's like, where is she going? How long has she been in this taxi? At the end of it, you know, that taxi ride, she'd have got, she'd have been knackered. In that taxi. She'd have had a flight from America. Like three, four hour taxi drive. She'd have been dehydrated to fork. She'd have been rolling out and stuff. She'd have been like gasping for water. Eamon would have clocked up like 400 quid on his uh, meter in the taxi. It's just full of, it's full of nonsense. I mean, I know these movies are full of nonsense. But this is more full of nonsense than movies usually are. And having this cast of quirky doesn't help at all. Because you just know that they put there to pad the plot out and there's some subplot where you know that two of the supporting characters are going to end up together because there's been some romantic tension between them in the first act and by the end you think well they're going to end up together and you know it's not a massive spoiler to find out that they do but they don't dwell on the relationship between them at all it's just there as a couple of throwaway lines It's like the rest of the movie really it's throwaway and I guess it's more professionally put together than something like Christmas land. It seems to have more of a budget, but it's no less annoying in places. It still doesn't really hang together.
1: Absolutely. It's not very well researched in the slightest. And as you say, some people will overlook that if they're not familiar with the geography. But it is ridiculous when you put it into that perspective. The side characters do nothing for this movie, and I'm glad you mentioned Angus because I was just sitting there a bit dumbfounded at his whole arc. I don't know, the, the characters are all almost like cartoonish, like they don't speak like real people. It's like it's all kind of very contrived, and it just borders on annoying. No, it doesn't even border on annoying, it yeah. is annoying. The whole movie was just really annoying, and Maybe controversially, I had a better time with Christmas Land over this because Christmas Land was shorter, (laughs) so (laughs) so therefore I could get it over and done with quicker. But this, for me, the pacing of this movie—it just dragged, and I felt things were just—it was just repeating itself. It's like, oh, Sophie and Miles, um are like having this antagonistic relationship and then, oh, they're falling in love and then it goes back to the antagonistic relationship and it has no real weight to it either. Something I have to point out is this movie is directed by Mary Lambert. Now Mary Lambert directed one of the first horror movies that ever scared me when I was younger and that is of course 1989's Pet Sematary. So I was really stunned to think that it's the same person who directed Pet Tree* and has directed this. It doesn't compute in my mind.
0: Yeah, it's true. I think given the resources at Mary Lambert's disposal, most notably the script, I think she does a particularly professional job here because it's all very competently made. The performances are absolutely fine. So there's nothing wrong in that department. It's just that there's not an awful lot to work with to begin with. And you're right, Pet Cemetery, It's an amazing movie. If you haven't seen Pet Cemetery, go and see it. So, it's not Mary Lambert's fault, I think. She's done a pretty decent job with what she's got, and I think as a directing gig, it's fine. It was obviously not shot with an enormous budget, but it's got enough of a budget that they probably did more than one or two takes. But even so... There are decent actors in there. Carrie Always is pretty good. Brooke Shields is pretty good. But they are fighting against the material all the time. There's nothing really to drag out anything particularly passionate from them. The lines are quite clunky. I have to say that there's not an awful lot of chemistry between them. They seem to be mates, which is quite a nice thing. And I do like the fact that it's a romance between characters who are a bit more advanced in years. So you don't usually see that a lot in this sort of movie. So there's lots of things in this movie that it gets right in terms of where it pitches it. It's just that nothing about it is interesting enough to keep you rolling along with it, other than the fact that you're picking holes in it all the time. You're right about the pacing. It's glacial. I mean, this is like a 98, (laughs) 99 minute movie and it could have easily lost 20 minutes and had no effect on where it was going at all. It is just treading water for quite a lot of the time. And this whole kind of will they, won't they, they kind of stretch it out to inordinate length because you know that they are at the end. There is a point where, again, spoiler alert, about, is it about 50, 55 minutes at end? They do spend the night together, which is something that doesn't always happen in these movies, but it's all very tastefully done. You don't see anything. It's the following morning when Miles's mate comes with the breakfast for them and there's kind of, you know, surreptitious glances and stuff. Now, at that point, my suggestion was that he waited until the very last moment of the breakfast when they're all trying to make it out that like nothing happened the night. And then this guy walks away and then comes back and then goes, somebody got laid. But it doesn't. It doesn't happen like that. That would have cracked me up. That would have been like the best bit of the movie. But it's very Hallmark-esque, and you know we don't talk about dirty things like sex in Hallmark movies. You disappear behind a door, and then there's a fade out, and it's the next morning. Nothing happened. So it's that sort of movie. And if that's the sort of movie you want, I'm sure that you'll think it's fine. It's typical Christmas fare. It's brain-off stuff. I wasn't offended by it, but I wasn't particularly entertained by it, save for the fact that um, every time Brooke Shields came on screen, there was that kind of like fanboy thing kicking in. I apologise to Brooke Shields right here and now. If we ever bump into each other on the street, which is quite highly unlikely, then I promise to be on my best behaviour. I won't be running down the street after you going, Oh, Brooke! Brooke, I love you! That sort of thing. Another thing about it is she finds this vintage tartan dress which clearly fits her perfectly and looks incredible on her but then she buys dresses for other people from Saks in Fifth Avenue how did they get them over from New York they just appear there and it's almost like she's kind of had this thought and then all of a sudden the dresses have appeared there from the other side of the Atlantic how how does that happen this movie is full of stuff like that, where it's like, how do we get this here? Oh, it doesn't matter. We don't, need to, we don't need to go into the logistics of this thing. If we want dresses from New York, they'll just appear there the following morning. And I know that there's a certain element of fantasy going on in this movie, but like with Christmasland, you have to have a certain amount of internal logic, as weird as that internal logic is. But this is just like convenience. It's like, okay, you know, we've reached the point of no return with the relationship. How are we going to get them back together? Well, they don't really. Miles just turns up with a couple of horses in the hope that she'll ride with him to this Christmas do they having at the castle. Now considering what's happened before Brookshiles would have leaned out of the window and gone fuck off Miles you big twat but that isn't what happens. She just goes oh yeah you know it's all a big misunderstanding and we realise that we're madly in love with each other now, let's go and let's go and go to this party and we'll have a really great time. It's like, no, no, it's like, no, you know, she's a strong, capable, intelligent woman. If he's been dicking her about and he just turns up with a couple of horses saying, oh, I just want you to just go to this party. Let's forget everything that happened previously between us when I was being a dick. She wouldn't go, oh yeah, that's fine. I'll give you a pass on all of that because you're a guy and you're a duke and you're a great bloke. No, I'd be like, no, get fucked, get fucked, apologise properly.
1: Yeah. Oh, and one of the most cringeworthy moments in this film for me was somehow they had afforded a very short segment of Robbie Williams' classic love song, She's the One, which was used for a flashback scene where Miles was reflecting on all the good times. So bear in mind, this film is too long as it is, but we have to sort of rewatch snippets of scenes over again. Um, just for this one segment, which I thought was, oh, this is getting ridiculous now. And then, as you say, there's just these whole like fantastical elements in it. Sophie can do everybody's hair, she's this uh, accomplished stylist as well. Like, and she, you know, she does the everyone's hair in the village, plus while she's writing a book, having issues with Miles with this castle, trying to buy this castle, or whatever she's doing. Um, and then at the towards the end of the movie, she actually pays for everybody's mortgage as well. She's only just met these people. And I think, are they taking advantage of her? Probably, <laughs> but, yeah. but you're meant to think, oh, it's all so lovely and everyone's so nice and they're like a close-knit family. It's like that type of vibe to it. And then at the end of the movie, so I think I, I didn't mention, but Sophie is divorced and she's got a grown-up daughter who's in college. And Miles manages to get the daughter over for Christmas as a surprise as well. And it's just like throwing that at the end. And then there was this weird moment where the character Angus was doing this weird dance on the stage as well. And I, by that point, I just had enough. Well, I'd had enough long before that, but that, that was just really taking the biscuit for me. Yeah, this film is, is so annoying. And I think that it's interesting how Netflix are really trying to push this as they're kind of christmas movie of 2021 it's like been highly promoted i keep seeing the poster like everywhere on social media but it's just not worth your time i think if it wasn't for this podcast i would not have watched this i would have just completely overlooked it skipped past it picked something else um because again it is just like all the other movies in my opinion it's the same plot the only thing that they don't do here... Yes, Sophie has an ex-husband, but he never shows up. So they didn't go there. We don't have the the slimy ex or boyfriend or whatever. We have none of that in this one. But then I think Miles more than makes up for it because he is really cranky all the time. I don't think he's a particularly nice guy either. To me, I was thinking, what the hell does she see in him? He's just really miserable. And yeah, and he tries to make her sleep in this um, upstairs room in the castle. And there's no heating, there's water dripping, and, and it's really cold. And you just think, how is this guy even nice? How yeah. is she going to fall in love with him? It's just All of it is really just stupid.
0: Yeah. Yeah, at that point where he's given her a really shitty room in the castle. I mean, I was incensed. I was thinking, like, you will not treat Brooke Shields like that. You are an arsehole, mate. And you're right. I mean, after all of that, you think, how is he going to drag it back? And without really dragging it back, they suddenly say, well, you know, he's a nice guy, really. It's like, well, prove he's a nice guy. And also prove which part of the world he comes from, because his accent goes from Scotland to Australia to Latvia to the four corners of the earth. It's like, is this guy actually Scottish? Has he been put there as some kind of double agent? He's not the Duke. He's bumped him off and he's trying to get the castle. That doesn't happen either, unfortunately. You know, the Scottish village is so Scottish that at one point, somebody is walking an Aberdeen Angus cow down the middle of the street in the background. It's like, how can we make this more Scottish? Oh, I know. We'll get a symbol of Scotland, which is the Aberdeen Angus cow, and we'll have somebody walk it through the middle of an extremely Scottish village. Now, I guess that people thought that would be adding some local flavour. I guess that if I was a Scottish person watching this, I would think you're just taking the pace. No.
1: Yeah, I think that sort of worked better as like a sinister folk horror because that are the vibes I get from it, especially with the locals and the idea of this mysterious castle. But the only well, we find out pretty early on that um, Sophie's father lived in the castle before they moved to America, and that her original name was McGinty. So then she decides to revert back to her maiden name as well, so she can fit in with the community and. Yeah, it's just, yeah, really kind of subpar, just <laughs> boring. <laughs> Rom-coms don't do a lot for me, and they there has it has to take something very special in a rom-com for me to actually enjoy it and en root for the characters. So, uh, yeah, this really didn't work. But as I say, I just find it astonishing how Netflix are obsessed with marketing this at the moment when there's so many other better Christmas films out there.
0: Are we going to talk about here, Mr Dog? before we close
1: of course hamish the dog so um decent enough actor he works well with the script with the material he's been given i think he does a pretty good job given the fact that he's got to work with these terrible characters so i think yeah i think he you know deserves an oscar for this role
0: yeah hamish is pretty good you know he hits his mark all the time he puts across a wide variety of emotions. He doesn't attack the knitting circle, which I kind of wanted him to do at one point, but Hamish is a good dog, so yeah, you can't really have him doing that. It would have been more interesting as a folk horror. I'm not sure I would have wanted to see Brooks stuck in a Wicker Man at the end. That would have disturbed me, but it does lean into that sort of thing where you've got an isolated community, a creepy castle. It's that sort of folk horror vibe. Or a good jello. If it had turned into a jello, if it had been a Black Glove killer knocking people off in the village then that would have been really cool in the second half because there's so many people asking to get strangled by a black glove killer in this movie but it doesn't happen it's just all very nicey-nicey it turns out exactly the way you expect the status quo is restored at the end Brooks writing her novels again she's more successful than she ever was before Miles is still hanging around the castle. The knitting circle are still fucking crackers. The village is still there. Everybody's got the mortgages paid off. The end.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to point out as well that it takes a good while into this film before Christmas is even mentioned. Given that this is a Christmas movie, you wouldn't know it. If you turn this movie off after at least 24 minutes, you would have had no idea that there was a Christmas element to this. And I thought, seriously, have they just like filmed this movie and decided to bring it out now and just add Christmas in the title for no apparent reason? But no, it does feature later on. Cause I think she's meant to have like been there for like two months or something yes. like that. Yeah. By the time Christmas rolls around, and then there's the whole subplot of her daughter can't come back for Christmas because the ex-husband's getting remarried, but she does come back. Yeah.
0: Oh, one thing it's not that interesting <laughs> yeah one one thing is the subtitling of the Scottish you know the thing that you can't um, understand people speaking in a Scottish accent and the subtitles don't match what they're saying anyway because at one point a Scottish guy says no bother and then the subtitle is it's not a problem well it's kind of a translation of it but no bother doesn't mean it's not a problem it, it isn't a problem but it's no bother how do you not understand, no bother, even if you're not from Scotland. It's it's just one of a number of baffling things about this movie. I can't really recommend it. You said you wouldn't have watched it if you hadn't had to do it for this podcast, and that's fair enough. I would have probably thought, looks a bit rubbish. Oh, hang on a minute, Brooke Shields, yeah, I'll watch that. But apart from that, it's it's harmless. I guess if you're looking for this sort of thing, it will tick most of the boxes. But I don't want any of those boxes ticked. It just annoyed me. And I I had more fun taking the piss out of it than actually watching it in a serious way, which can't be a good thing, really. I know that there's there's some joy to be had from picking holes in stuff, but it's ultimately a bit self-defeating. And I actually did want to like this movie. It seemed like a sweet premise, but everything defeats it. The writing's terrible. The performances... The lead ones are okay. The knitting circle, everybody's either overacting or they seem to be in a different movie. Desiree Birch is in it as uh, Sophie's agent. Desiree Birch is a really great comedian, given nothing to do here. Isn't really allowed to be funny at all. So why cast Desiree Birch in a movie where she's not allowed to crack jokes? Another baffling decision. If you're going to go and see it, do as you must, but I can't really recommend it.
1: No, me neither. And yeah, I think it would have worked better if it had been a bit more meta and maybe more of a parody or satire of Hallmark movies. That might have worked in its favour, because I kind of thought that's where it was going at the beginning, but it obviously didn't achieve that. So, so far on IMDb, it's got a 5.6 out of 10. I think that's rather generous, because I don't agree with that. I would give it like 2 out of 10, as I say. you know, It has points for cinematography and featuring Drew Barrymore at the beginning that's it for me Yeah. and then even more baffling on Rotten Tomatoes it's got a 46% audience score and a 79% tomato
0: so the critics have given it 79%
1: they have indeed
0: that's interesting that's really interesting I'm not sure what they see in it but I'm sure that there's something there if you can dig down deep enough Drew Barrymore, great to see her this podcast loves Drew Barrymore nice to see her in this And playing quite a meta role as well. But that weird bit at the end where it goes back to the talk show and it's almost like outtakes from the talk show between Drew Barrymore and Sophie, where it's almost like between commercial breaks and they're kind of riffing on certain things. And it's kind of half improvisation, half outtake. And it's like, what's going on here? This doesn't really work. Brookshill's cracks quite a naughty gag during the, the end credits about a happy ending, but... If you haven't stayed for the end credits, you'll have missed it anyway. And it's probably the only thing that gives it a PG rating. But yeah, even the end, it's, again, baffling. Just why why is that bit at the end, other than to just get Drew Barrymore back on the screen? Because obviously they thought, we've had Drew Barrymore here for like maybe a day. They obviously shot it in a day, the Drew Barrymore bit. And thought, we must get as much mileage out of the footage as we possibly can. Let's do something over the end credits. But even that doesn't work.
1: No, it just seems a bit misplaced, doesn't it, at the end? I get that, obviously, she's written this fantastic book and she's had all this success and she's getting married to Miles. and Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I didn't like Miles as a character, so I couldn't get on board with their relationship or any of it, so it wasn't a satisfying ending for me. Yeah, so Castle for Christmas... I wouldn't recommend watching it this Christmas. Do yourselves a favour and pick something else. There's so much better films out there, like the one we're going to do next week.
0: I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 48 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening.
1: And if you enjoyed this episode and our previous episodes, you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast.
0: Next episode. It's our final Christmas movie selection before we go on to a New Year choice. As we said earlier, there are better selections of Christmas movies than A Castle for Christmas. And regardless of your stance on whether it is a Christmas movie or not, it's a Christmas movie to us. So, no, no, we're doing it. We're going to be going for arguably the greatest Christmas movie of all time. It is, of course, Die Hard.
1: So stay tuned for that, everybody. And if you'd like to argue with us that it's not a Christmas movie, bring it on because it has Christmas music. It's set at Christmas. It has a Christmas party. Everything is festive in that movie. And it's got a lot more going on in it than some of the films that we've already covered. So look forward to that. And it is also going to be available on Disney Plus as of the 3rd of December. So by the time you hear this, you'll be able to go and enjoy a bit
0: of Die Hard this festive season. Yeah, so while you're watching all your Marvel Studios movies and Disney cartoons, you can also watch Bruce Willis killing a skyscraper full of terrorists as well. Something for everybody on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> so until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. It's music, is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.